Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith, so to speak, um, where many characters from the Old Testament are remembered for their faith, particularly about how they obeyed the Lord. And we're going to be looking at uh, the first couple verses of Hebrews chapter 12. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we continue to worship you by giving uh, our attention to your word now. And we ask, Lord, that you would use it to shape us and to mold us. Um, continue to conform us to the image of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, I want to look at the first, uh, let's, let's just read the first three verses. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses, the witnesses talked about in Hebrews chapter 11, since we have a, such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. So we're going to talk about running the race. I want to zero in in particular in the la- on the last line of verse 1 as it goes into verse 2. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus. There's the exhortation of Scripture that I want to focus on today. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus. Um, Christianity here, the Christian life, the Christian faith, is compared to a foot race. And from this exhortation, I just want to draw four characteristics, if you will, four characteristics of the Christian life, of the Christian faith. And the first one is energy. I didn't even check to see if this works. Does this work? It does. Hey, good job. Energy. Uh, let us run, it says. The text says, let us run. Energy. Is your, is your Christian life characterized by energy? Is there forward motion? Is there forward movement? Or are you just sitting down? Are, are you like the, you know, the fable of the tortoise and the hare and the hare at one point decides to sit down and take a nap? Are you like the hare? Are you, are you sitting down? Are you growing in the Christian faith? Um, how have you grown in your relationship with the Lord in 2020? How have you grown in your relationship with the Lord in 2020? How are you serving him? Are you running or are you sitting? Years ago, when I was much younger, uh, and, and you were much younger, and some of you weren't around, uh, Amy Grant sang a song called Fat Baby. That was the name of the song. I don't know that anybody could sing a song called Fat Baby anymore today. But anyway, uh, the lyrics the lyrics uh, were by Rod Robeson. You won't be able to read it, but that's his initial, initial sketching of the lyrics. Let me just read some of the lyrics for you. I know a man, maybe you know him too. You never can tell he might even be you. He knelt at the altar, and that was the end. He saved, and that's all that matters to him. His spiritual tummy, it can't take too much. One day a week, he gets a spiritual lunch. On Sunday, he puts on his spiritual best and gives his language a spiritual rest. He's just a fat little baby. He wants his bottle, and he don't mean maybe. He sampled solid foods once or twice, but he says doctrine leaves him cold as ice. He's been baptized, sanctified, redeemed by the blood, but his daily devotions, 
They're stuck in the mud. He knows the books of the Bible in John 3.16. He's got the biggest King James you've ever seen. I've always wondered if he'll grow up someday. He's mama's boy, and he likes it that way. If you happen to see him, tell him I said he'll never grow if he never gets fed. He's just a fat little baby. Um, you know, the idea that he has, the idea of the person who has, <coughs> excuse me, Christian pretense has, has the Bible but isn't in the Bible. You know, he, he, he looks the part, but he's not living the part. He's not growing. Um, the Christian life is to be characterized by energy, by growth, by active, dynamic growth. Think of a race. Think of a race. This is what it's compared to. Think of a race. There's determination. There's forward movement. There's sweat. Um, there's progress. Imagine watching Olympic, an Olympic race on television. And imagine you're watching this race and everybody's running except one person, and one person is just kind of walking the race. If you see someone walking in an Olympic race, well, unless it's, you know, unless it's that walking competition, that speed walking competition. But imagine a real race where they're actually running. Uh, if you see someone walking, you know there's something wrong, right? There's something wrong. And it, if, it might be something that's physically wrong. And if it's not something that's physically wrong, then maybe it's something that's psychologically wrong. Well, if you see a person who says they're a Christian and they're not growing in the Lord, if they're not growing in Christ, there's something wrong. If you see a person who says they're a Christian, but but they're pretty much living like the world, and they're not growing in godliness and obedience in Christ and in Christ-like character, something's wrong. You should be growing in godliness. You should be growing in holiness. You should manifest the fruit of the Spirit more and more. Would the people who live with you in your home, would they say that you are growing in the fruit of the Spirit, that you are becoming more loving and more joyful and more peaceful and more patient, more kind, uh, more self-controlled, more gracious, more faithful? I've heard of executives and vice presidents who profess to be Christian, who, who, uh, who, who go, who go to, who go to church every Sunday and smile and they, and then they go to work Monday through Friday and scowl and yell and verbally abuse their managers and their employees. That shouldn't be if they're a Christian. You know, I've, I've heard of fathers who have been baptized and then who neglect their families. That shouldn't be if you're a Christian. Let us run. There should be energy in our Christian life. Let me share with you lyrics from another song, more positive, uh, lyrics that exhort us give of your best to the master give him first place in your heart give him first place in your service consecrate every part give and to you will be given god his beloved son gave gratefully seeking to serve him give him the best that you have give of your best to the master not else is worthy his love he gave himself for your ransom gave up his glory above laid down his life without murmur you from sin's ruin to save Give him your heart's adoration. Give him the best that you have. So is your, is your Christian life, is your walk with the Lord characterized by energy? Is your relationship with Christ characterized by passion and zeal and energy? Now, the second, second characteristic then from this exhortation is endurance. Endurance. Let us run with endurance. Let us run with endurance. Why endurance? Because the race is long. The race is long. The Christian life is a life. It's a life. It lasts a lifetime. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Uh, therefore, you need to run it, to live it with endurance and with perseverance. 
Revelation 2.26, Jesus uh, talks about the person who keeps my works to the end, who obeys me until the end, who perseveres in obeying me, who perseveres in doing my will. Um, this notion of running with endurance uh, reminds me, makes me think of several um, several uh, public uh, 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 deconversion stories, if you will. That's what they're called. They're called deconversion stories now. <laughs> Uh, of, of prominent Christians, of, of celebrity Christians who were professing the faith and now they have walked away from the faith. And their deconversion story, they tell their story about how they, how they fell, um, away from the Christian faith. It's kind of their anti-testimony, if you will. Um, well, what, what's happened with these people? Well, they, they haven't finished the race. You know, Paul talks about finishing the race. They haven't finished the race, that's for sure. They haven't run with endurance. They haven't kept their eyes fixed on Jesus. They haven't kept Jesus' works until the end. And they apparently didn't count the cost. Jesus encourages people who put their faith in Jesus, to put their, who put their faith in him, to count the cost. Look at Luke 14. Whoever does not, Jesus speaking here, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to make fun of him, saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. (laughs) It's interesting with these deconversion stories because they come out and they make these stories public about why they left the Christian faith as if it's something to be proud of. And Jesus says that these kind of people are to be mocked. You know, they didn't count the cost to begin with. You know, people are going to be make, are going to make fun of them because they didn't count the cost of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus is never caught by surprise by followers who stop following. He explained it in his parable of the four soils. Remember the farmer, he tells the story of the farmer who goes out to sow and he's scattering seed all over the place and it lands on the rocky path and it lands among the thorns. It lands on the path, it lands among the rocks, it lands on the thorns and it lands on good soil. Um, and they ha- and it has very and the seed has varying results. So look at look at Jesus's explanation then of his par- of this parable to his disciples in Mark chapter four. Jesus says the sower sows the word, the scriptures, uh, the word of God. These are the ones these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. So we're talking about people who hear the gospel and they're excited and they receive it immediately. But then what happens? But they have no root in themselves. There's no endurance. They have no root in themselves and they are short-lived. When pressure or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately stumble. Others are sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age, the seduction of wealth and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But the one... But the ones sown on good ground are those who hear the word, welcome it, and produce a crop 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. So here are reasons that, that those who profess faith in Christ fail to endure. For one thing, they have no root in themselves. We read that early. Oh, well. Apparently, this doesn't go backwards. We're not to point three yet, but you can write it down. But apparently, they have no root in themselves. They fail to take, they fail to take measure... Uh, to, they fail to take measures to cultivate the word, the scriptures, into the soil of their own lives. 
Thus they are short-lived. And when persecution or pressure comes, when trouble comes, they easily fall away. Pastor Ryan was sharing with me uh, a couple weeks ago before he went on vacation. He read an article where uh, the author of the article was prognosticating, was projecting, predicting that um, that uh, fully one-third of churchgoers will not return to church. Um, you know, before the, before the shutdown, we had so many people in America going to church, and he's projecting that, uh, you know, uh, fully one-third will not return to church ever in America. I, I think that statistic's a little high myself, but um, it does, it does, it, uh, it does uh, take into um, consideration the, um, the, easy believes, the easy believism that is present in our culture. A little pressure comes in the form of a pandemic, and, well, you know, how important is church really? And do I really believe the Bible? And man, Sunday mornings, having Sunday mornings uh, without having to get up early sure does feel good, you know? Another reason professing Christians fail to endure is that they begin to focus on the earthly circumstances. They begin to focus on their earthly circumstances, the worries of this age, the seduction of wealth, and the desire for other things. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 um, says that we're to run with our eyes fixed on Jesus. But those who aren't running with endurance don't have their eyes on Jesus. So please, run with endurance. Live out your Christian life with endurance. Understand understand that this is not a sprint. That we are to endure until the end, until Christ comes back or until he calls us home. So train yourself for it. Um, train for yourself for it. How can you run with endurance? By training yourself for it. Think for a moment. What habits, what habits do you currently have in place in order to endure until the end? What habits do you have in place in order to run with endurance? Um, to make sure that you persevere in the Christian faith. First Timothy 4, 7, and 8 says that we are to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. That we are to train ourselves for godliness. What kind of spiritual sweat are you investing in your relationship with Christ? Knowing that you need to have endurance is good and necessary, but it's not enough. You need to do things in order to endure. You need to have root in yourself. You need to work to plant the word of God in your heart and mind, and then you need to water it. And that takes time. That takes time. On a daily basis, it takes time. Spending time with the Lord, investing in your relationship with the Lord. Um, you have to be willing to give time to the Lord and lots of it. I was going to, was going to have a conversation here with my dad, but my dad is not here today. So, you know, I, I know my dad has, um, my dad has read through the Bible a number of times. Many of you have read through the Bible a number of times. My dad's read through it. Do you have any idea how many times he's read through it? <laughs> Yeah, it's high 70s, something like that. He's read through the Bible. Um, and I was just going to ask him, you know, when he stopped uh, studying and reading the Word of God because he had gotten it down, you know, uh, knowing that he's still reading the Word of God. And the point is, you know, it, 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 you don't, there are some, you know, there are many books that I read one time, a, couple, a few books that I'll read two times. And yeah, that was good and interesting. But the Bible, <laughs> you never stop reading that. You never stop reading. It is life. To whom, you know, the disciples, Jesus said to his disciples, do you want to go away too? And they said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. 
here. This is the, this is the word of life. This continues to nourish me. This continues to nourish believers. Run, run with endurance. Train yourself to endure. Study the scriptures. Spend time in prayer. Spend time with the Lord. Be in church often. Live out what you learn. Run with endurance. Okay. Third characteristic. I bet you have no idea what the third characteristic is. Oh, there it is. Direction. Direction. A set course. The race that lies before us. Run. Uh, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. The NIV says, let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. The race that is marked out for us. What's being talked about here is a prescribed course. You don't, you don't just run any old way. Um, can, can you imagine a race like that? <laughs> you know, start at the starting line and one goes that way, one goes that way, so forth. Um, and yet, and yet there are professing Christians who are running a race that is not prescribed by Scripture. It's like they take uh, this little bit of uh, belief here and this little belief. They discard this belief. And they're, they've, they've, they've marked out their own course for their Christian faith. Oh, you know, being part of a local congregation, that's not, that's not really that important. I commune better in nature. I commune better in, with God in nature and so forth. And nature is wonderful. But, you know, the Bible says... Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together and so forth. Anastasia read for us a little bit earlier from 1 Samuel 13. And uh, Saul was one of those kinds of guys who uh, who professed this uh, faith in the Lord, but he kind of marked out his own race course. Um, in, in the chapter that she read, King Saul was supposed to wait for Samuel to come and offer the burnt offering. But the, the enemy was starting to press hard, and um, let's just review a little bit. So Samuel comes and, you know, says, what have you done? And Saul answered, when I, when I saw that the troops were deserting me, and you didn't come within the appointed days, and the Philistines were gathering at McMash, I thought the Philistines will now descend on me at Gilgal, and I haven't sought the Lord's favor. So I forced myself to offer the burnt offering. Wow, what a noble individual. He forced himself to do what was in his own best interest and against God's will. I bet that was really hard for him to do. He forced himself to do that. Um, Here's Saul. The race was clearly marked out for him. This part of the race was clearly marked out. Wait for Samuel to offer the burnt offering. And uh, Saul forced himself to make the tough decision, to make the tough call, and go ahead and do what was contrary to God's will. In order to get God's blessing, by the way. A couple chapters later, in 1 Samuel 15, God gives uh, the enemies of God's people and the enemies of God, the Amalekites, into Saul's hand. And the Lord orders him that you are to destroy all of the Amalekites, including all of their animals. Everything was to be destroyed. It was to be a whole burnt offering, if you will. And um, Saul and his army did uh, did that to a degree, <laughs> but not all the way. Uh, they spared the king of all people, of the Amalekites, and they spared the best of the animals. And so uh, the Lord sends Samuel to Saul, and here's how um, some of the conversation goes. When Samuel came to him, Saul said, May the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. <laughs> By the way, uh, before Samuel even got there, Samuel learns that Saul has even built a monument to himself at this point for how good he's done. Uh, verse 14, Samuel replied, 
then what is this sound of sheep and cattle I hear? You were to destroy everything. Is this, is this phantom noise that I hear? Saul answered, the troops brought them from the Amalekites and spared the best sheep and cattle in order to offer a sacrifice to the Lord your God. But the rest we destroyed. All right. God says destroy it all. Saul um, destroys part of it. But he look why he preserved part of it, to honor the Lord. So there you go. He was disobeying the Lord in order to honor the Lord, in order to worship the Lord. And the Lord tells us, you know, for instance, that we are to destroy all sin in our life. And we destroy quite a bit of it. And we're pretty good, aren't we? <laughs> we're to destroy it all in our life. The race was clearly marked out for Saul. And... Um, he was running his own race. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, one other example. This isn't Saul. But the Lord says, These people approach me with their mouths to honor me with lip service, yet their hearts are far from me. The Lord, What the Lord desires is people who worship him with their whole being, who don't just draw near and pay him lip service and do the right things on the outside, but their hearts are far from him. So if you're here today to worship the Lord, I hope that your hearts are engaged too because that's what the Lord desires. That's part of the race that is marked out for you. Is your heart devoted to the Lord? Well, these three illustrations from the Old Testament show us here that there is a prescribed race to run and that just running any old course you please is not acceptable. The race has been marked out for you in the Scriptures and it is the will of God. It's the will of Jesus Christ. It begins, it begins with confessing yourself a sinner to the Lord and committing yourself to Him. And it continues with loving God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. And with loving your neighbor as yourself and then denying yourself and taking up your cross and following Him. And it continues with casting off all sin and living a life of repentance. And with doing good to all, especially to your fellow believers. And that race that is marked out for us continues with developing habits of regular scripture study, of regular prayer, of regular worship, of regular gathering with other believers, of being a part of a local church, of using your talents and your spiritual gifts to serve your local church, of witnessing, of doing your, doing your part to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ, of giving a portion of your income to the Lord, and so forth. It demands time of you to actively cultivate your relationship with the Lord and to actively serve one another. The Lord God is to be number one in your life. He's to be number one in your life. Look again at Luke 14. Great crowds were traveling with Jesus. So he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now this is a, a way of speaking. This is a, this is a figure of speech. Jesus is not saying that we actually are to hate our families. But what he is saying is that he is to be number one. He is to be number one. There is to be no contest in our hearts for who is number one in our affections. It is to be the Lord Jesus. That's what the Lord expects. Um, this is the race that is marked out for us. In a, in a survey of Americans that was done several years ago, 72% said that their faith was very important to them. But only 16% that their faith was the high, said that their faith was the highest priority in their lives. I wonder how would you how would you answer that question? Is your faith the highest priority in your life? Or better, is your relationship with the Lord Jesus, is the Lord Jesus Christ number one in your life? Even above your spouse or your kids or your friends or your job or your comfort or your freedoms 
There is a prescribed course that we are to run, and that prescribed course is obedience to the Word of God. You know, this passage is a challenge to us. It's an exhortation, but it's also to be a comfort for us to know that there is a prescribed race course. There is a prescribed course because we live in 2020. We live in very crazy times, and everything seems upside down. Um, While the world may be upside down right now, but the Christian faith is not, we are still people of the book. We are still people of the Word of God. The race marked out for us is the same one that was marked out for uh Peter and James and John, for the Apostle Paul and the early believers. And that way is still marked out for us in the Word of God. The world is an upheaval. But if you're a believer, you are secure in Christ. Keep running the race marked out for you. First John 2.17, The world and its desires are passing away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Fourth and finally, example and help. In this race, In this race, we have an example and help, and that's Jesus Christ, keeping our eyes on Jesus. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. How do you run with energy? How do you run with endurance? By keeping your eyes on Jesus. What happens when we get our eyes off of Jesus? We begin to lose energy. We begin to lose focus, and we begin to lose energy and passion for Jesus Christ. Um, We look at something else for a while, And then that becomes more exciting than our relationship with the Lord. If that's happened to you, put your eyes back on Jesus Christ. Uh, Tony Evans, a pastor in Texas, uh, uses the illustration of, uh, he talks about, uh, you know, in days like we've experienced over the last few days, if you want to sweat, all you have to do is go outside and stand in the sun. You don't have to do anything else. Just stand in the sun and you're going to start sweating. And he says, if you want to raise your temperature for the Lord, if you want to raise your zeal and your passion for the Lord, then stand in the presence of the Son, S-O-N. In other words, spend time in the Word. Spend time meditating upon the Word, upon the Lord. Spend time meditating upon God. Spend time in prayer. Spend time with God's people. Do the things that will keep your focus on Christ. And the more you focus on Him, the more you commune with Him, the more you talk with Him, it's going to raise your spiritual temperature. Set your eyes on him, and he will give you enthusiasm for him again. He will give you energy for the race of faith. Verse 2, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. There's our example. He ran the race ahead of us. He ran the race ahead of us. God has not asked us to run a race that he himself did not run. He did so in the person of Jesus Christ. So let him be your example and keep your eyes fixed on him. And also let him be your help, because then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He he is on the throne. He sits at God's right hand on the throne. He's powerful, and he is able to help you. Hebrews 4.16. So let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. Why? Because Christ is there. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Approach the throne because Christ is powerful. Approach it in prayer. Pray to him for help. The point of verse 2 is that you don't run this race in your own strength alone. The Lord helps those who look to him and seek him and pray to him and ask him for help. So keep your eyes on Christ. Psalm 105.4 says, Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Why are we to look to the Lord and his strength, because that strength is available to you. 
Seek the Lord regularly, and he will give you that strength to run with endurance. Crazy times, crazy world, clear faith. Crazy times, crazy world, clear faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus and run with endurance the race that is marked out for you. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the exhortation to run that race with endurance. The knowledge that uh, we are not entered into a sprint. Uh, the realization that uh, our faith is for a lifetime. And indeed, we wouldn't want it any other way. We know the benefits of living for Christ. We know, we know the blessings of walking with our Lord on a daily basis. And we praise you that Christ, that you have not left us to run it alone. That Christ ran ahead of us ran that race ahead of us, and he is our example, and that he is our help as well. Um, so, Father, my, my great prayer is that each one of us in this room um, will um, match our profession of faith with a race that has run well. May we all endure until the end. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.